everyone, and welcome to the JW Show. I'm your host, Joshua Washington, Executive Director of the Institute for Black Solidarity with Israel. And today I have with me Klaas Mohomole. Klaas is one of the founders and um, the, the head coordinator of Africans for Peace, and is based in South Africa. Klaas does amazing work um, fighting boycott, divestment, and sanctions against Israel. Uh, he does uh, other work as well in South Africa, and we're going to get into that today. Uh, Klaas, thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. So first thing, Klaas, um, one of the, the questions I have for you, I know I, I think you get all the time, and that is, you know, you are a black South African, uh, born and raised in South Africa, and you are involved in this work um, that advocates for Israel. Um, but before that, you you also, you used to actually advocate against the state of Israel. Can you tell us what that was? You used to be a, a part of the boycott, divestment, and sanction movement. Uh, why, why were you a part of that movement? Okay. Um, the only way I can answer this question is actually to give you my background so that you can get the context that I... So uh, I've I've been part of uh, politics from a very young age. Uh, I joined the African National Congress Youth League, which is the ANC Youth League, uh, is the same organization that Nelson Mandela belongs to. Uh, I joined that organization at the age of 16. So I was still in high school at that time. I was an activist in my high school. So during my time in high school, I was part of the learners representative, the student representative uh, during that time. We call it uh, RCL. Then it came a point where I had to do my grade 12, my metric. And after I finished my last grade in high school, I applied to go to Betts University. Uh, I went to Betts University uh, to pursue my law degree. When I got to Betts, I continued with my activism. I continued with my activism because I've been active from my past life. So moving from Limpopo to the city of Gold, uh, Johannesburg, uh, I continued my activism at Betts, uh, uh, Betts University. I joined a number of things when I was at VETS. I joined your law student council. Uh, I was part of the student government. We call it SRC here, student representative council. In the state, mm. we call it student government. Mm. During that period of student government, uh, obviously, that's where I got exposed to, to BDS, boycott, divestment, and sanctions. I didn't know much about BDS. And they came to us, they showed us videos of the young kids dying. And they were saying, look, uh, Israelis are doing this to to the Palestinians. So obviously being a black South African, I was touched by that because I felt like the Palestinians are going through the same thing my ancestors, my parents, and my grandparents went mm-hmm. through. Mm-hmm. So during that time, I took it upon myself to make sure that I joined the BDS. I took it upon myself to make sure that I'm going to boycott and I'm going to sanction and divest against anything that is Israel-related. That's how I ended up joining the BDS uh, at that time. Mm. So what was it that so that, that's where you were and that's what you did. And, and, and what was it now mm-hmm. that made the switch for you from mm-hmm. where you were then to being a, mm-hmm. a very strong voice in South Africa uh, in support of Israel? So there are a number of things that came into play. So because as an activist, especially in South Africa, when you're an activist, you put a lot of things at stake. You put a lot of things in your life on mm-hmm. the line. Mm. For example, when you're an activist, if there's something that is happening on campus, you might end up banking and skipping lectures to make sure that you go 
to the picket lines and you, you chant and you are marching or you are protesting or you are boycotting, mm. a number of things. So there was a point to where uh, in the year 2013, an Israeli-born pianist came to perform on our campus. So when that uh, pianist came to perform on our campus, what we did as the student government at the time, we saw that, look, this Zionist, the South African Union of Jewish Students, were bringing that guy to come perform on our campus together with the South African Zionist Federation. As part of the student government, we were like, look, this Zionists are bringing an Israeli person to come perform on our campus. So bringing, uh, we said, look, they're bringing a Zionist to perform on our campus. So we defined Zionism as racism. We said, look, they're bringing a Zionist to come perform on our campus, and we're not going to allow a racist person to come perform on our campus. Mm. So what we did is that we, we, we rallied around campus. We brought all, all the students that were, were interested in the whole international issue. We made sure that we bring the students, and we went and disrupted that event. So we went to disrupt the event, and obviously after disrupting the event, um, uh, we were successful in disrupting the event. They tried to bring uh, campus security to sort of stop us, but they couldn't really stop us. And then we we, go, we got uh, uh, charged by the university. Mm. The university charged us because they believed that we exceeded the bounds of protest. They said we disrupted the event of other students that have a right to actually host events on campus. Mm. So uh, what happened is that we got charged by the university, and I had to attend a disciplinary hearing. The disciplinary hearing took like eight months. So I attended this disciplinary hearing, and later on, uh, I attended the disciplinary hearing. Uh, I was found guilty, so I was facing expulsion from the university because of all the activism that I've been doing, because of the work I've done. Then it was at that period where I started asking myself a number of questions, because I feel like, look, I've attended this, I've been doing this, but do, how much do I know about Israel? So I realized actually that I don't know much about the things that are happening in the Middle East. Mm. Then at that time, I took it upon myself to actually research. I spoke to young people on the ground, on campus, even off campus. I spoke to young leaders on the ground. I started speak, asking a number of questions about the conflict itself. Only to realize that people had different views. Because I spoke to all the parties, parties from the left, parties from the right, making sure that they can actually give me the sort of the understanding of the, the conflict itself. But people gave me something different. People moved to a political debate. Some were saying, no, it's a religious conflict. Mm. No, some people are settlers. You know, stuff like that. Right. And I realized, actually, I'm not getting I'm not getting help from this. And I started reading a number of books written by different parties, like your, Omar Bogwati, Surah Dadu, then... Those were BDS books. Then I read books by the pro-Israel guys like your uh, 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 Benjamin Pogrim mm. and um, a, a number of books that actually could actually uh, settle it down. But still, these books didn't really help me. Right. Then it was at that time I realized that actually this is not helping me. So then in the year 2015, there was a... a uh, a trip, an educational trip that was advertised uh, for students to go to Israel to go learn about the conflict. And I applied for that educational trip. I went to Israel to learn about the trip. It took us eight days, uh, actually, in Israel. So going to Israel, actually, that's what changed my mind. That's what, that's what may actually exposed me to the real things on the ground. Mm. Um, obviously, what happened is that we traveled all of Israel. We, we started from like your Nazareth in the top, went down to like your Jerusalem, like went all over your Haifa, yeah. 
Tel Aviv, even went to Ramallah, Rawabi, wow. went to like Bethlehem. But my turning point was when I was in Stirot. Because when I was in Stirot, that's when I, I saw that Stirot is, yes, is in the south, next, right next to Gaza. Hmm. That's where I saw the rockets that Hamas will fire with messages, man-made rockets, actually. The rockets that will fail and end up in, in Stirot. So that's when I realized actually, that BDS is not telling me the truth. BDS mm-hmm. is lying. BDS is not giving me the full story mm-hmm. about uh, the whole thing. Because BDS never told me that Hamas will fire a rocket from a school or fire a rocket from a populated, highly populated dense area uh, right. or a, an apartment or a hospital or anywhere where they feel like firing a rocket or fire a rocket. I mean, uh, Hamas will fire a rocket from that. But they never told me that. They always told me that uh, IDF fires rockets back to to Gaza. And I feel like if you actually were interested in solving a, 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 a thing or whether it's a war, you want to be a mediator in a war, you need to be balancing your views. You need to be telling the truth. You can't just show one side of the story. So I felt like BDS was only showing me one side of the story and they were actually misleading me. That's why I changed my mind. Mm. Then after that, that's when I came back to South Africa to sort of engage with young people on the ground. That's when I started coming to South Africa. I spoke to young people on the ground and started actually showing them the reality, started explaining to them, started educating them. I started mm. debating with young people that were part of the BDS, started showing them the realities and it continued like that. So I started being a voice from that anger. Wow. And what? so what year was that that you got uh, back from Israel? So it was in the year 2015. Uh, so, we went in, in, I remember it was summer that side. We went in July. It was really nice going that side as well because we learned a number of things. And when I went that side, uh, just to put it on record, I was still a member of BDS. And I only changed my mind when I was that side because mm. I went there to find the apartheid. I went there to see what apartheid is. Mm. And when I got there, I expected to see what our parents and our grandparents went through in South Africa. And I actually realized, actually, there's no such a thing as apartheid because my parents didn't go through this. This is actually a, an insult to our parents when they call this uh, apartheid. Mm, right, right. And, yeah. and then yeah. what was it from... So from 2015 to when you and and two others founded Africans for Peace how long what time period was that what year did did you guys found Africans for Peace so 2015 i came back i was just uh what i did 2015 i didn't have a structure so i was just like obviously i came back from israel i would just say wait on campus too for these BDS guys or the palestinian student solidarity on campuses to host events and i'll go there alone I'll call my friends to go there and sort of ask questions. And we start debating. Instead of discussing, these guys will start to shout at us. Right. And we call us, no, you are sellouts. Uh, what you did by going there, your trip was funding, stuff like that. Then mm. we'll start debating these guys. We started uh, sort of fighting them on campus. And only to realize that actually this is not helpful. So we need to find a structure. We need, if we really want to educate the, the population in South Africa, we need to find a structure. Mm. Then our, we found a structure in uh, 20, 2016, 2016, that's when we actually formed Africans for Peace. And we sort of came up with ideas on how we're going to run Africans for Peace and how we're going to educate the, uh, the, the South African public. Mm. Yeah. Wow. And, and so, and you already touched on it, but when it comes to mm. Africans for Peace, what um why why is something like africans for peace needed in south africa so africans for peace 
it's an organization of young scholars and young activists. Uh, the aim of Africans for Peace is sort of to deal with the issues that are happening in the world, the wars mm. that are faced in Africa and all over the world. Mm. Because we believe in a peaceful nation. We believe in a peaceful world. We believe that anything that is happening anywhere in the world can actually impact on our lives, even when we are in South Africa. Mm. So we feel like we're taking upon a road to sort of bring about solutions. So South Africa needs Africans for peace because they need uh, uh, something that's going to educate them. Mm. Uh, with Africans for peace, um, what we do is that we write articles, we do discussions, we host webinars, we, we do a number of things. We, we do tours to the UK, we do tours to the, to the states as well, university campuses where we educate the young people in the states, even in South Africa. South Africa needs Africans for peace because we we are about we bridge that gap uh, of information. We give them a balanced view. We give them information that is not diluted. We give them the raw information because we sort of authenticate our information. We go there and educate them with our articles that we write. We give them the raw information, that educative information, with the discussion that we have or we host or the webinars that we host. We give them proper information that actually they can benefit at the end of the day. And that's 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 incredible. And, and class, when so you talked about how being on the ground when before you started mm. Africans for Peace was you yeah. found was difficult because it, it often would turn mm. into, you know, big shouting matches yeah. and things like that. How yeah. um, how is Africans for Peace as a structure? How is that now received um, amongst Black South Africans? What what are you seeing now? Is there a change now than before? So you see, before we, Africa, being in Africa for Peace actually allowed us allowed us to get uh, proper platforms. In the mm. past, uh, we couldn't get a proper platform. For example, um, we'll just go to events on campuses, and those events were sort of informal events, and those events were controlled because they'll be organized by the guys from that side. Now, with the vehicle of Africans for Peace. We are able to get to national TV. We are able to get to national mm -hmm. radio. We are able to get to the news, national news outlets, whether it's a newspaper, print, or social, or online. Mm -hmm. We also get to that. So we, when you're on national TV, we get to debate these guys under the banner of Africans for Peace. And obviously, Africans for Peace is already known because of the booklet that we wrote. We wrote a booklet about about Africa and recently where we discussed the issues that are taking place in Africa and how Africa needs young leaders to come forward and sort of uh, save it. So I think I suggest that the listeners should actually download the booklet from um, uh, our website, www.africansforpeace.com. Mm. And also we wrote a book about issues, the Israel, so the, the, the issues that are happening in Israel. The number of things that we discuss in that booklet, our personal stories, what apartheid was, mm. how the anti-Israel movements are hijacking this. So because of this vehicle, we're able to publish books, we're able to publish articles, we're able to get to debate with a number of people uh, online. Mm. That's yeah. that's incredible. That's incredible. Um, mm. Tell us, uh, tell us, class, when it comes to you speak, you spoke a little bit on how you went to Israel to find what BDS was calling mm. apartheid. Um, yeah. What are some of the other? So in addition to apartheid, what are some of the other? comparisons that they that they make to South Africa and and can you break down for us why those those aren't true like you were saying so um 
there are a number of things that BDS love loves doing. Obviously, they 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 hijack the narrative of apartheid. That's why, whenever we are going all over the states, we go with the title that we are reclaiming our narrative because the apartheid narrative has been stolen and has been abused out there. Mm-hmm. So, for example, they will say uh, the Arabs are not allowed to be in the Knesset in the Israel parliament. And, and they will say, no, it's the same thing that happened in uh, in, in South Africa during apartheid. Yes, in South Africa, uh, blacks were not allowed, like the AIDS was not allowed to be in the PAC or the Pan-African National Congress was not allowed to be in the parliament of South Africa during apartheid. Yes, right. that was true. But you go to Israel, you'll be like, why? The uh, Arabs in the, in the Knesset, I remember when we went to watch the Knesset, uh, the other time, went to the Knesset, and we saw an Arab guy debating when they're talking about the, the the national state bill, where they're talking about the flag and the national anthem, a number of things. So we saw these things, and like, but these guys are lying, you see. Uh, like this was the recent now when we went back to Israel in 2018, but obviously before, they told us, look, um, uh, I remember this was like uh, 2014 and 2015, when videos was like, look, uh, Arabs are not allowed to share universities and schools with the Jews. Uh, in Israel, and we're shocked that actually this guy, the founder of BDS himself, actually went to Tel Aviv University. What is it that what is it that he's talking about? Because saying they're not allowed, you see, wow. because obviously in South Africa, blacks and whites were not allowed to to share the universities. Mm. And I go back and they'll say the Arabs and the Jews are not allowed to share uh, uh, clinics and hospitals. And you'd be like, how come? Because we go there, you get to a private hospital that is, is called Save a Child's Heart mm. in the center of, of Tel Aviv. And that clinic's got uh, Ethiopian Jews, it's got Arabs, it's got kids from uh, Eritrea that have been treated there. Mm. And obviously in South Africa during that time, uh, during apartheid time, uh, the people were not allowed to, to share, uh, like blacks were not allowed to use the white-only hospitals and clinics mm-hmm. and then again they will use a comparison that uh the, the recently even when i went to a debate uh, uh i think it was last year uh 20 2020 where i was debating a bds lady she was saying look she was uh are not allowed to use the the beach or to walk on the promenade in tel aviv you mm-hmm. see and then she says look uh the 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 arabs are not allowed to use the beach in Tel Aviv, they can't use it. There's a section for the Arabs and there's a section for the for the Jews. And I was like, but that's a lie. Obviously, she's taking that from the thing that used to happen in South Africa during apartheid. The blacks had their own section at the beach and the whites had their section at the beach. And like, obviously, that's a lie. The same thing with the bus system. They say, no, uh, Arabs have their own buses. So they right. sit at the back or they sit in front or the Jews sit in a certain place. The number of things that Arabs are not allowed to marry Jews. And like, look, you can't use religious laws on this one. There are things that are happening, there are things that are not happening. So they're like, they're hijacking the whole narrative that people are doing this. Mm. And then they're controlling, the government is passing laws on this. And that's why we always go out there to sort of deal with these uh, myths and to make sure that we discredit what the BDS is practicing out there. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I, I remember uh, I actually saw that debate, that, that panel mm. debate that you were on uh, last year. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was you, you uh, an Israeli Arab, and then you guys were debating a, um, I assume the other guy was a Palestinian and a, and a black South African woman that was 
there with you. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah the, the guy was is the, the founder of is the head of BDS South Africa. Ah. That guy we're debating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's why we're like, you can't be you can't be stating such things on on national TV. You mm. can't you can't allow that. So it is with African for Peace who are able to sort of deal with such lies and sort of discredit these guys. That's incredible. No, that that was a really yeah. good uh, segment. We're gonna and I'll make sure I, ha- I have that link up there for our listeners to to check out as well. That was very yeah. good. Um, class, you know, I um. Mm. I appreciate you for sharing this stuff with us. I, I want I want to ask you a couple more questions. One yeah. is for Africans for Peace, what has been um you know the biggest um the biggest hurdle for you all and and um what has been your biggest accomplishment as an as an organization? Look, um the hurdle will be the death threats. I've been getting death threats uh wow. sometimes. People threaten me on my on my social media platforms mm. or like Twitter, you know, people, Twitter can be volatile. People can just attack you there. Yeah. And yeah. obviously people say, no, you sold out. We are going to necklace you because you are sellout. So mm. necklacing is it's, it's similar to lynching in the States. So wow. because like during apartheid, there were some more, they were, they were called sellouts. So in, 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 in an African way, South African, we call them impimpis. So what the apartheid police would do, they will pay a black person in the townships, uh, in, uh, in the projects there, and they'll be like, look, whenever there are riots in the township, you must check who's starting the riots and who's leading the riots, and you inform us, and we're going to come and make sure that we arrest that person who started. So those blacks that were sort of informing the apartheid police, because they've been paid, whenever the community realized that this person was an informer, or was there a sellout? They will actually lynch them in the township. But the lynching in South Africa works differently because they put a tire on the person, and uh, they put, like they put a tire on the person. They, then they put uh, paraffin or fuel or gas mm. or diesel or anything, and they 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 set them alight with fire. You know, stuff like that. So I, yeah. I was I was uh, I got those kind of death threats and said, look, we are going to do this to you, stuff like that. But I obviously I never stop because um, um, I'm not really a coward, so I can just tell them, look, you can where to back off and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But my our our biggest compliment is actually to make sure that we the situation on campus, especially in South African campuses, is, is better now. Mm. We have managed to to succeed in a number of spaces. So uh, as a start, we we managed to take more leaders to Israel to see for themselves. In the past four years alone, we've managed to take more than 80 young activists that were part of the BDS in the past to go to Israel and learn about the conflict. And most of them, when they came back, they were changed. I can say safely 80% of them, when they came back, they were no longer supporting Israel and they were against Israel. And the other ones were just standing on the fence because they don't want to go publicly because they're scared for their lives and also maybe because BDS were still funding them academically, they'll pay for their their student fees, academic fees and stuff like that. That's mm. one of the achievements that we've managed to do. Oh. Number two, obviously, we go to campuses and we educate these young leaders on campuses. Most of the students on campuses are no longer actively involved in the BDS. So they are out there sort of uh, talking to us uh, during like what we call the IAW Israel Apartheid Week or Israel Awareness Week, they're no longer actively involved in the BDS. So it helps actually 
the students uh, when we go there and we educate the students on the ground. And another thing that a success is that we recently at Vets University, we managed to get a Jewish student to be in the SRC, and that student ran with the ANT Youth League. So you see, we couldn't have done this in the past where you have a Jewish person running for student government on campus and ending up winning. She actually got the second highest votes, you see, so to wow. be in the student government. It's not easy to get it to be in the student government in South Africa because it's very politicized. You don't run independently easily. Most of the independent uh, people who, who converse independently, they don't win. So you can only win normally when you run under a political party. Mm. Uh, so you have to run like under ANC or Democratic Alliance, different from the states, actually, how it, it, it operates in South Africa. So recently we had one of the, the, the Jewish kids who is actually in the SRC now, in the student government mm. in South Africa. That's, so that's, that's one awesome. of the things. Yeah. That's, no, that's great. Sorry, I didn't, mean to, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's one of the achievements that we managed to do. And also now with the achievement that we do, we go out in the communities. We don't just focus uh, on campus. So we managed to go to the schools as well. We go to the mm. schools and we educate these young kids about what's happening in Israel. So we managed to speak to these kids about the issues. We teach tell the kids not to just fall for anything. We tell the learners and the students in the high schools to read more about the issues and to be aware of organizations such as BDS so that they don't just fall for the trap but because such organizations are up to no good and they're out there just to sort of deal with their, their academics. And at the end of the day, when they get to, to universities, these kids, when they get there, they will be able to differentiate what is right and what is wrong. And they'll be able to choose the right path instead of the wrong path. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and so, and just to back up for a minute too, you said um, for the students that have, that you've taken to Israel, about 80% of them have come back uh, changed. Mm. Like they, they don't, they don't stand against mm. Israel anymore. Um, and then you yeah. said for some of the students, because BDS mm is actually paying their school fees and, and has kind of has yeah. them uh, in their, in their yeah. pockets, so to speak. There are some people who, yes. who feel like they can't, they can't stand yeah. with Israel because of that. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Yeah. So that's the case. So wow. obviously, and I understand their, 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 their cries. So I wouldn't expect them to just out, out there and, and sort of uh, chant with us or sort of preach what we are preaching as Africans for peace, because it's not easy. Uh, so I know it's, um, fees are a problem in this country. See, so mm. some students don't have fees, and they don't they end up being financially excluded from the universities. So mm. we understand, but at least they will be standing on the fence, and they won't be going all out there to chant and everything. Right, right. Wow, that's mm. that's important work. That's incredible work. Yeah, class. Um, mm. I want to ask you this last question. I think, and I think it's appropriate now. Um, you know, we've, there's so much, especially, you know, in, in, uh, just in these past few weeks, we've seen an, another war break out um, mm. between Israel and Gaza. And, and it, it I, I don't know how big in South mm. Africa, but here in the States, it, I think that the, mm. the, the propaganda was as strong as it's ever been. Um, a lot of, a yeah. lot of lies being told about Israel and, um, yeah. you know, for, for you in South Africa now, um, doing what you do. Um, there's there's obviously two fronts. There's there are the people who stand mm. against Israel, and then there's a lot of South Africans who, for who they they just have so many things to worry about in their own in their own country in their own 
towns, mm. you know, neighborhoods with their families and stuff. Why, mm. why should South Africans support Israel? Look, South Africa is a developing country. And uh, as a developing country, we need to be in a space where we build relations. We build relationship with the countries that are innovative. We build relations with the countries that are economically advanced. We build relations with countries that are practicing the fourth and uh, that are taking the path for the fourth industrial revolution. And it's only fitting and fair for South Africans to support Israel because Israel is advanced. Israel is can actually bring about solutions into South Africa. For example, we have a serious uh, power problem in South Africa. We have what we call, we've normalized it actually, we call it load shading, where I can, mm. be, I can be in on a call with you now and there might be a national power cut. Mm. So there might be a power cut now where I won't be able to speak to you anymore until maybe the, the, the government will decide when to bring up power. Wow. They might bring it up after two or three hours. Sometimes it can take even eight hours. Imagine eight hours without power. Wow. You see, so, and and Israel can bring to this solution. Israel can bring a solution to this because of the technology that they have. We don't have load shading in Israel. Mm -hmm. So these are the things that actually need to be solved. For example, I, I'm, I'm from the rural areas. I'm from the, the, the villages, like the dusty streets of South Africa, where mm -hmm. you need to walk like at least... Uh, two miles before you can actually get a tar road. Uh, you need to walk at least three miles before you can get your nearest uh, clinic or a high school. Mm. So I'm from the, that kind of an environment. And we have water problems there. Israel can actually bring solution to, to our water problem. And as South Africans, the poverty-stricken South Africans, we need Israel in our lives because they can actually bring about the solutions that we have. Like they can bring sol solutions to the problems that we have. Uh, obviously, the, the electrical problem, the power cards, the water solutions that we need. Like we have Innovation Africa, they can bring about uh, water where they can use solar to drain water. Yeah. They can bring, South Africa is not landlocked. So we can, the system of desalination of water, or, or of sea water, so we can desalinate that water and use it in our houses. So there are a mm. number of things that we need, like we, technology-wise, like, you know, uh, the number of things that so we're dealing with the uh, high crime rate in South Africa. So we need uh, the technology to sort of help us to deal with this with this crime. There's either crime is high and almost uh, every minute uh, someone's getting hijacked, someone's getting marked on the street, or the a shop is getting robbed. So we need technology to sort of solve these issues. You see, with the technology of like a, the startup nation, see where they made this ways app, we can actually use the kind of a, a technology to deal with these issues of crime, we deal with these issues that are affecting our daily lives. Mm. And this is going to solve our main problem, which is unemployment. Recently, the stats shows that 34% of the graduates in South Africa are unemployed and almost 68% actually 72% of the youth of South Africa are unemployed wow. so if we solve these issues and we bring Israel to South Africa and they help us start our own startup nation here help us be innovative we can actually solve the unemployment issues that we are faced with we can actually help the whole country with this because it's going to be an investment in the country itself it's going to be a beneficial to the government and the, the citizens of this country Wow. Class, thank you so, so much 
thank you so much for for taking the time out here and sharing. I know our listeners really appreciate this. And um, how is there a way that we can uh, follow you guys or support Africans for Peace? We want to you know stay up to date on the work that you're doing. Uh, I beg your pardon. Please repeat that statement. Yeah, is there a way that we can follow mm. Africans for Peace or support you all? We want to just stay up to date on what you're doing and and follow your progress. Oh yeah. Um. So we we have a website. Uh. So we are on social media. We are on 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 Twitter. We are on Facebook. We have our website. We post most of our, our content on our, our website www.africansforpeace.com. I feel okay. like people can actually check out our stuff there. And also because of the work that we do, whenever we come to the state, we're also going to be posting there. Or if an organization that wants to host us, whether it's a webinar, we are free to do webinars with them. They can actually tell us we can do any topic that we want, whether we want to learn about Africa or learn about Israel, we actually do webinars with them. And yeah, um, there are a number of things that we do. So, But most of the content, we post them on our social media, Facebook, and our uh, website, uh, www.africansforpeace.com. Awesome. www.africansforpeace.com. Class, thank yeah. you so much, sir. We we wish you all the best in, in what you're doing and your efforts. Um, and thank you for being here with us. Thank you so much. And thank you all for listening again. My name is Joshua Washington, Executive Director of the Institute for Black Solidarity with Israel, and I'm signing off.